word from the Lord in the book of Mark. Mark and the fourth division. Mark 4, and we'll take a look at verse 35 to verse 41. Mark 4, verse 35. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to come before you. We honor you, Lord God, because you didn't have to give us this chance to worship you so freely. But this gift that you bestowed upon us, Lord God, is a direct result of the sacrificial lamb that you sent over 2,000 years ago so that we might worship you, Lord God, in spirit and in truth. So our request is simple, Lord. So the words of my mouth, for the meditation of all of our hearts, that they be acceptable in thy sight. For Lord God, you are our strength and our redeemer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose. And the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern asleep on the cushion. Mm. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awake and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased. There was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear. Said to one another, who then is this? That even the wind and the sea obey him. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of God. For a few moments today with your prayers and God's help, I'm going to speak to you from the topic, Jesus is woke. Jesus is woke. I had the blessed opportunity to go over to Israel and greater Israel earlier this year as a part of my doctoral studies. While I was there, we had the opportunity to sail across the Sea of Galilee, this same sea that we're studying and uh, unpacking in our text today, the Sea of Galilee. While I was there on the Sea of Galilee, uh, they took us on a boat. And while we were there uh, on that boat, we came back after sailing throughout that great uh, sea. We came back and I had the bright idea to ask the captain, if you will, of that vessel to dock the boat. I said, when you get closer to the shore, would you do me the honor? Would you have uh, the, would you have the, uh, give me the opportunity to take the rope and throw the rope uh, over the anchor, if you will, and, and dock the boat? Uh, I wish I had the video with me. I showed another group. Um, I really did my best. They pulled up close to the edge of the shore. And right when we got ready to uh, get next to the docking post, I took that rope and I threw it to throw it over the beam post that would hold the boat 
next to the dock. And when I threw it, I missed it. <laughs> I missed it. I did my best. Now, now that was my first time <coughs> trying. Here's the good news. Right after I tried, the person that's been out there 20 plus years, he tried to throw the same rope and tried to dock the boat. And he also missed. Right. So I felt good about myself to know that I failed my first time, but he failed after 20 years of experience. Here's what I'm trying to share with you. When I was trying to dock the boat, I missed my mark. Yeah, come on now. You do know what sin is described and defined as, don't you? Sin is defined as missing the mark. If you look at that term sin, it's literally translated mark missing. It's to have the mark of the high calling placed over your life and to literally miss that mark. And I was so concerned with docking my boat that I missed my mark. That's the same thing taking place in this text. The disciples are so concerned in the midst of a storm with getting their boat to the shore, Uh with docking their boat that they missed the ultimate mark that God has for them in the the midst of this stormy situation. Mm -hmm. And I came to witness to somebody that in moments in your life where it feels like you're missing the mark, Mm -hmm. it's often because you're so concerned about docking your boat Mm -hmm. that you miss the greater opportunity that that. God is placing before you. Do I have a witness anywhere in the building? This, This text is trying to get us to understand something about faith. God here, Christ here, is trying to get us to see that when they miss their mark, they when they became so concerned with docking their boat, their mark missing was a direct result of their sin nature. They're, they're missing the mark in uh, physical terms, but also in spiritual terms. They're missing the mark in their earthly understanding, but also in their spiritual understanding. Let's set up the text here. Jesus in this passage uh, is finally in a place where he's able to find rest. If you look at Jesus' life, he said uh, throughout the Gospels that foxes have holes and that birds have nests, but the Son of Man hath nowhere to lay his head. But look what takes place in our text today. In our text today, it says that Jesus is resting in the stern of the boat and he's getting such a good rest that he's found a, a pillow. He's found a cushion and he's resting his head on that cushion. Wait a minute. I thought that Jesus had nowhere to lay his head even though foxes had holes and that birds had had nests. The text is trying to get us to understand that this moment in Jesus' life is an example of reaching the peaks and the points that you have asked God to reach in your life. Jesus, although homeless, Jesus, although uncemented in the uh, in the uh, the environment that he's living in, Jesus, although un- unstable in the culture that he's a part of, he finally finds his place, and it's in the stern of a boat. And when he's in that stern of that ship, uh-huh. he finally finds the rest that he needs to lay his head on a pillow for once. In his life. Here, here's what I'm trying to get to. In the midst of him finally finding the place and the space 
that he needs to find rest, the next thing that we know, he's interrupted in his rest. Mm. Can I witness to somebody in the building? God has called you to a place of rest. Mm -hmm. God has finally pulled you out of the labor of this life Mm. and put you into a place of rest. But here's what happens when we reach places of rest in our life. Mm. As soon as we find the rest and the relaxation that we need, oftentimes storms will arise. Mm. And when storms arise in the midst of our rest, my encouragement to you is to keep the rest that God has given you. Preacher, did you just tell me that when a storm arises in my life, to have the same peace and the same surety and the same certainty that Christ did? Absolutely. When the waves begin to beat against the boat of your life, when the storm winds begin to blow against the ship of your existence, my encouragement to you is to go ahead and keep your rest. Go ahead and go to sleep tonight. I know you don't know how things are going to work out as of yet, But my encouragement to you is to find rest. And when you find rest, God will give you the peace that you need to allow that rest to sustain. Here's what I've been trying to get to. When he's experiencing this rest, Jesus is in the middle of his of his sleeping and in the middle of his sleep. The next thing that we know, Jesus has his dreams cut short. Uh, Y'all going to catch all this stuff soon. Jesus is resting. Jesus is getting his relax on. Jesus is sleeping. And in the midst of his sleep, I don't know what stage of the sleep cycle he's in, but let's imagine with our Holy Ghost imagination that Jesus is in the middle of a dream and he has his dreams cut short as a result of the storm around him. Have you ever had a dream deferred? Have you ever had a dream cut short? Have you ever had a dream chopped down to size? That's what Jesus is dealing with in this text. Jesus is dealing with a broken dream. Jesus is dealing with a missed uh, opportunity. Jesus is dealing with his hopes and his dreams and his desires and his wishes being cut short and chopped down in the middle of this storm. But in the midst of this storm, here's what I've been trying to get to. Jesus understood that this would take place because look at when he decides to leave. Jesus says, we aren't going to leave until the even has come. I know we don't talk like that anymore. That basically means that Jesus says, we're not going to leave here until the evening comes. Jesus says, we're going to leave once the sun goes down and once it gets dark. Have you been in a dark place in your life? Have Have you been in a place where it seems like you could have had the opportunity to make it to the other side, but it seems like because of the darkness in your life that you'll never reach the places that God has for you. They're challenged with sunlight, but not only are they sunlight challenged, they're systematically challenged. Look at the system that they're dealing with. This system of storms is a random and routine system that takes place on the sea 
of Galilee. They have harsh winds that come through the Sea of Galilee systematically. They have a system of harsh winds that keep people from reaching their destination. I know you look at holy today, but the reality is we're all challenged, not just with darkness, but with but with systems. We're challenged with systems and societies, spiritual wickedness in high places that is set up in a way to keep us from reaching the other side. But I came to witness to you that even though you're missing out on sunlight, even though you're challenged with a system, the good news is you can still make it to the other side. I'm not coming through like I need to. Let me press on. They're challenged with sunlight. They're challenged with a system. But then they're challenged with a sporadic sea. A sporadic sea. The storms on the Sea of Galilee would take place at any moment and at any given time. Nobody could really project when the storms would come into the Sea of Galilee. So they have a sunlight issue. They have a systematic issue. But then they have an issue with a sporadic sea. Uh Have you ever been in a place in your life where it seems like the better you do, the harder things get? Where there are sporadic moments that come into your life and as soon as you get your kids to act right, your car breaks down. And as soon as your car gets fixed, something goes wrong with the hot water heater. When the hot water heater gets fixed, you need to send some money to your kids at school. As soon as you get that together, your your spouse starts acting crazy. Have you ever been in a sporadic seat in your life? This is what they're dealing with. A sunlight issue, a systematic issue, a sporadic seat issue, but then to top it all off, to make matters worse, they're dealing with a stern issue. It says that they have the answer that they need. Uh They have the remedy to the storm, but the answer that they need seems to be trapped in the stern of their situation. Uh Jesus, who has the power to calm the storm in their life, Mm. is trapped in the stern of the boat. He's stuck in a stern place. Have you ever been in a place in your life where you know you have the victory, you know you have the answer to whatever adversary Mm, or adversarial circumstance is presenting itself to you, but it seems like your answer is locked up in the stern of your situation. Jesus is in the stern. They have a sunlight issue. They have a systematic issue. They have a sporadic sea issue. But the next thing we know, they have a stern issue. But in the midst of all of this, Jesus lets us know that when he's in the stern of your situation, he's trying to get you to understand that he's at the back and at the bottom. Uh, the, 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 The front of the boat is the bow. Uh, Jesus in operating in the bow of the ship. Jesus is operating in the stern of the ship. The back and the bottom of the ship. Uh You know that when God operates in your life, Uh God operates in a way that is likened unto the stern. God will position God's self Uh at the back 
and at the bottom of your circumstance. Yeah. So when you're looking for God, yeah. you have to take a step back yeah. and you got to get low yeah. to see what God get is getting ready to yeah. do. And I came to witness to somebody yeah. that's looking for God in your situation. I dare you to look back yeah. and to look at the bottom of your circumstance. Yeah. Get to the bottom of your issue. Get to the bottom of your reality. Get to the bottom of your challenge. And once you get to the bottom of things, once you make yourself low enough to look back on the the uh, experiences of life, it's at that point where you'll find that God has been there all along. Do I have a witness anywhere in the They have a challenge. But then look at the community that Jesus is trying to inspire here. Jesus is inspiring community. If Dr. King was preaching, he would say the beloved community. It's this idea and this notion of a universal and a a collective togetherness. The beloved community. Jesus says, let us go to the other side. Community. Jesus didn't say, let's get on ships and maybe y'all will make it to the other side. Uh Jesus says, let us go to the other side. He's challenging and inspiring community. Jesus in this text didn't save their lives. Jesus gave them a word. Somebody in here has been asking for God to save them. The good news is you don't need to be saved as much as you need to be uh, reminded of God's word. God's word before they ever got into the storm was let us go to the other side. And if they had the faith to understand that the other side that they were experiencing was on the other side of a storm, then they would have made it through it. They would have sailed through it. But God has a way of allowing you to uh, experience something that challenges his word, but that doesn't conflict with his word. He'll give you an experience that when you uh, see the enemy that's at hand, when you see the adversary that's at hand, when you see the challenge that's at hand, it will make you think that God's word is is void and and no but the reality is if you can hold on to his word then his word is the ship that will carry you through the storm do have a witness in the building there, there, there's no mention of rain in this text I, when we have, whenever we think about the uh the, the, the storm here on the Sea of Galilee, we automatically think of a rainstorm. The Bible doesn't say it was raining. Uh, the Bible says nothing about thunder. The Bible says nothing about lightning. The Bible says that it was a windstorm. Uh, uh, this is a, a, a windstorm that they're dealing with. In other words, they're dealing with unseen forces that are trying to keep them from getting to the other side. I'm, I'm really preaching this thing. I hope y'all catch it at some point. They don't have a rainstorm. They don't have a thunderstorm. They don't have lightning taking place. They have winds beating up against the boat. They have unseen forces that continue to challenge them when they're trying to live in God's word and make it to the other side. I don't know if I have a witness in the building, but have you ever had unseen forces trying to keep you from reaching the other side of where God has for you to be? Here's what I came to challenge you with. In the midst of these unseen forces, look at what takes place. The boat gets full with water. And when the boat gets full with water, you do know that that means it's full with water. Um, If Jesus is at the back and at the bottom of a ship that's full of water, 
the good news is Jesus was affected by the same waters that came from the waves that uh, the disciples and the other ships around them were affected by. Uh We don't have a high priest that is unaffected by the things that we go through. We have a high priest that stays at the back and at the bottom of our situation. And as soon as our boat starts to fill up with water, Uh as soon as danger starts to come, as soon as headache and heartache start to make their way into our life, it's at that point where Jesus is one of the first to know about the situation that you're dealing with. You've been spending so much time praying to the Lord about your situation. The reality is God knew about your circumstance before you knew about it. It says that the boat began to fill, and if the boat is filling, that means that Jesus is resting and sleeping in a wet space at the bottom of the boat. I came to witness to somebody that seems to be soaking in the rains of life, drowning in the torrential rains of your existence, drowning in the waves of your life. I came to witness to you that you serve a Jesus who's wet right alongside you. Jesus is not a savior that stands aside and stands away from the circumstances you're dealing with. The good news is we serve a savior who's not afraid to get wet in the in the waves with us. Do I have a witness in the in here that knows that Christ has gotten wet with you at some point? The community, the challenge, look at the core or the care rather of what Jesus is getting at. They ask Jesus, do you not care? That we're getting ready to perish. Uh, uh, I, I like that because John 3.16 says, uh, somebody say John 3.16 for me. John 3.16. So, so, well, I'm sorry. Somebody say the passage for me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not. One more time. Shall not. Amen. Shall not perish but have everlasting life. Um, When they come and ask Jesus, care us not that we perish, Jesus in his Holy Ghost space, Jesus in his elevated understanding, Jesus who is the bread of life, Jesus who is the living word, stands atop of the word of God that will be challenged and passed down throughout generations. And he understands that they're trying to get a better grip on what perishing is all about. Mm. He says, you think that you're getting ready to perish when the reality is you're getting ready to live an everlasting life. I don't know who in the building is challenged with the thoughts of perishing. Mm. I came to remind you of the John 3.16 gift, that we have a gift in Christ Jesus, that even when we feel like we're getting ready to perish, Mm. the good news is we have an everlasting gift of life. That whenever perishing seems to come at our ship, whenever perishing seems to be creeping upon our boat, Mm. the good news is we have a gift in Christ Jesus that keeps us afloat even in those moments. They said, care us not that we perish. Uh, I, I like the, the collective language here, this idea of community here, this, this idea of togetherness here, because they're saying, 
Jesus, it's clear that if this ship goes down, it's not just us that's going to uh, perish. It's going to be you too that perishes. They say, care is not Jesus that we perish. That's not just the disciples. That includes Jesus. And whenever we look at this text and understand that Jesus is a part of whatever challenge that we're dealing with, we can really get to the core of what Jesus cares all about. I love the passage that says that when the enemy comes in like a flood, that the Lord will lift up a standard against them. Because that's what takes place in this text. Jesus becomes the standard for the people. Mm. Jesus becomes the standard for the disciples. And the standard that he sets for them is a standard of peace. He's trying to set a standard that whenever storms arise in your life, your challenge, your opportunity, your commitment should be to have a standard of peace that forces your storm mm. to reflect the inner peace that you have. Let's get to uh, uh, the bulk of it. That there's, there, there's something called, uh, uh, well, you have to honor the, the, uh, the previous and the post portions of a text. Mm. So let's look at what's taking place on the opposite sides of this text. Mm-hmm. Before they get in the boat, Jesus is teaching there on the seashore and he leaves a multitude of people. They get in the boat. They travel across the Sea of Galilee. They run into this storm. Spoiler alert, they make it to the other side. But when they get to the other side, they run into the Gerasene demoniac. Mark 5, they run into the man with the legion of demons. So here's what Jesus is challenged with. He has a multitude of people on one side Mm -hmm. and a person with a multitude of demons on the other side. Oh, my. Uh, Oh, my. He's he's torn in the midst of the multitude. He has a multitude of people on one end of the shore Mm -hmm. and a multitude of spirits on the other end of the shore. Here's what Jesus is trying to get his disciples to understand. He's trying to get them to transition from the social to the spiritual. (sighs) Y'all gonna catch all this stuff soon. Um, The social, a multitude of people. He's challenging them about the Greco-Roman challenge that is against them. He's challenging them about the Greco-Roman empire that is against them. He has a multitude of people on one area, Mm -hmm. and he's challenging the social construct at one end. But when they get into the boat, and when they get to the other side of the storm, Uh the next thing we know, Jesus is dealing with a multitude of spirits. A transition from the social Uh to the spiritual. Uh I came to witness to somebody in the room that the better you do with the spiritual, the better you'll do with the social. Christ is trying to get us to transition from the multitudes of people to the multitudes of the spirits. And once we transition from the multitudes, once we shift from the social to the spiritual, it's at that point where the societal ills that we deal with will have to find themselves subjected under the spiritual authority that Christ Jesus has given. Do I have a witness in the building that knows that the spirit always reigns over the social core, the care of what they're dealing with? Here's the next thing, and I'm out of here. The last thing I want to share with you is the command. Look at the command that he gives. Uh, He says, uh, uh, peace be still. And when 
he says, peace be still, this is a direct command. This is the only time in the biblical pericope that you see peace or stillness used in this way. This is the only time you see somebody use peace as a command or use stillness as a direct command. Mm. Jesus says, peace be still. Mm. I love it because whenever you look at this text, the challenge is... How do you reconcile peace be still with the storm that is around them? The good news is that whenever we use peace and stillness Mm. in the middle of our storm, it's at that point where we're becoming the standard by which the storm will operate. The standard by which the storm will operate. The standard is when the storms arise, you become the standard. You become... Uh, an image. The the storm has to mirror the person that is challenging. Yeah. And the more stillness, yeah. the more peace that you have in the middle of your storm, oh. the more your stormy circumstance oh. will have to become peaceful and still yeah. as a result of what the storm sees I in see, you. Yeah. And I came yeah. to witness to somebody in the building yeah. that I see peace in you. Yeah. I came to witness to somebody in the building that I see stillness in you. And one Once you tap into your peace, once you tap into your stillness, all the chaotic storms around you will have to come to a halt as a result of the image that you're portraying. You do know the image that I'm talking about, don't you? The image that I'm talking about is what God gave Adam at the beginning of time. He created mankind in his image and in his likeness. And when Jesus stands atop of the boat and says, peace be still, he He's charging his environment to become a reflection of him. I came to witness to somebody, stop allowing yourself to be a product of your environment and force your environment to become a product of who you are. Preach TJ Green. I'm doing the best I can. Whenever you find peace, whenever you find stillness within you, it's at that point where the storm around you will start to mirror and reflect what's going on in you. Do I have a witness anywhere in the building? I'm almost done. I'm almost out of here. The command, the command, uh, 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 the calm here, the calm that we takes place uh, in this in this text. Uh, I like it because this calm that they feel is really a calm before the storm. Mm-hmm. They have a moment of peace and they have a moment of stillness mm-hmm. before the text says that they feared all the more. Mm-hmm. Lord, have mercy. Yeah. Somebody in the building has been challenged and stricken with fear as a result of the storm that you're dealing with. Mm-hmm. I came to witness to you that it only gets scarier. Mm-hmm. And it's not because of the storm. The storm is going to be eradicated. Mm-hmm. The storm is going to come to an end. Mm-hmm. That storm is going to stop in your life. But let me tell you something about Jesus. Wow. Once you see Christ for who Jesus really yeah. is, yeah. once you look at how the Lord has power over your storm, the real fear starts to kick in. Once you stop fearing the winds and the waves and start to fear the Lord who sits high and looks low, that's when a true sense of fear starts to kick in. So I don't know what's scaring you. I don't know what's been causing fear in your life, but God has not given you the spirit of fear, but of love, joy, power, and a sound mind. And once you wrap your mind around who God really is, it's at that point where a truer sense, a purer sense of fear will start to kick in in your life. And that's
that sense of fear is what will be used to shape the life that God is trying to create for you on the other side of your storm. I got to get out of here. Here's one of the last things I'll share with you. They say, what manner of man is this? They they come to a point where they realize uh, that they knew Jesus' name, but they didn't know his nature. They, they, They said... What manner of man is this? They knew Jesus. They had been walking with the Lord. They knew his name, but they didn't know his nature. Now, when I say nature, I don't mean his character or his essence alone. I'm talking about the reality that when the winds are coming through, they say, what manner of man is this that the winds and the waves obey him? What manner of man is this that nature is obedient to him? They knew his name, but they didn't know about his nature. I came to witness to somebody in the building that knows the name of Jesus. You've been calling on the name of Jesus since you were an adolescent. You've been calling on the name of Jesus in your prayer closet. You've been calling on the name of Jesus for your children. You've been calling on the name of Jesus at your church house. You've been calling on the name of Jesus trying to get that degree. You've been calling on the name of Jesus on the middle of your job. I came to witness to you that even though you know his name, you must not know his nature. Because once you understand the nature of who Christ is, once you call his name, everything in the nature around you, everything that is a wind or a wave in your life that has to subject itself under the power of his name because his name is directly tied to nature. Do I have a witness in the building? Yes, yes, yes. I, I really gotta go. And the last thing I'll share with you, the charge. I gave you uh, a few points if you've been trying to keep up with me. I gave you the challenge of the text. Uh-huh. I gave you the community of the text. Uh-huh. I gave you the care of the text. Yeah. I gave you the command of the text. Right. But the good preaching that I'm accustomed to never ends unless we have a charge. Right. Preacher, you preach me happy. I got my shouting shoes on yeah. and I'm ready to run out into the streets yeah. and live out the word of God. But what is my charge? Is Here's it? the charge that I'll give you. And the charge is simple. Don't let one storm stop you. All right, all right. That, that, that's good preaching. I'm sorry. That, that, that's good preaching. Don't let one storm stop you. That's right. Preacher, what are you talking about? That's right. This Sea of Galilee, I told you, it's subject to sudden mm. and sporadic, systematic storms. Yeah. I'm yes. really preaching. Y'all gonna catch it by the They they are dealing with one storm here. But the next thing we know, we get further into the Gospels, and Jesus comes back to this same sea. And the same sea that they were getting ready to drown in, by the time we get to another passage in Matthew and Mark, we see that Jesus is walking on this same sea. I came to witness to somebody in the building. My charge to you is don't let one storm stop you. Whatever it seems like the storm in your life is getting ready to pull you down. Whenever it seems like the storm of your life is getting ready to take you out, I encourage you on this morning to not let one storm stop you. Because if you can hold on in the midst of your storm, it's at that point where God will turn all the light in your life. And God will to deliver you in the midst of your storm. And God will give you eagle's wings. And if you don't give you eagle's wings, he'll give you Jesus' feet. And Jesus' feet are used to walk on things that used to pull you down. Do I have a witness in the building that won't let one storm stop you? 
I'm almost done. I told you I was on the middle of the Sea of Galilee. While we were there in the midst of the Sea of Galilee, uh, we had a party. We basically had a praise party in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. While I was there, they had a musician that was uh, somewhat of the captain of the boat. And while on the Sea of Galilee, we would sing praises. We would dance there on the Sea of Galilee. We would do collective dances and prayers and send up praises to God. But here's what I've been trying to get to. While all of this is going on, the next thing that I know, something clicked in my spirit to remind me that this is the same place where people almost drown. While we're out on the Sea of Galilee getting our dance on. While we're out on the Sea of Galilee getting our praise on. While we're out on the Sea of Galilee getting our shout on. I had to remember that Jesus and the disciples almost went down in the same sea. But the Bible says that even greater work shall you do. Because when Jesus was sleeping in the midst of this circumstance, we are on the Sea of Galilee thousands of years later and we're dancing and singing in the midst of a possible storm. I came to witness to somebody in the building that in the midst of a possibility of rain, in the midst of a possibility of storms, in the midst of the possibility of winds, I dare you to praise God with the chance of weather. I dare you to praise God in the midst of the possibility of bad storms coming in you dance in the midst of the storm. It's at that point what God will say to you that you've made it to the other side of what I have for you. God bless you, Cornerstone. I'm so glad that you're going to church this morning. But can I tell you one more thing? The last thing I'll share with you is the name of the boat that we were on while we were out on the Sea of Galilee. I turned around and I looked at the name of the boat that we were on. While we were dancing and praising, while we were singing and shouting, I looked at the name of the boat and the name of the boat that we were standing on there in the midst of the Sea of Galilee. It was called the Faith Boat. And the reason why I'm dancing and shouting is not because of the storm and the possibility of rain. I'm dancing because I've got faith in the midst of a stormy situation. I've got faith in the midst of a hellish circumstance. I've got faith to know that in the midst of my storm, God will open a door. God will make a way. God will make the way clear. God will make paths in the desert. Do I have a witness in the building that knows that God will open a door for those who have faith? God bless your cornerstone.